Hello, you are listening to the Plumfield Moms, and this is Plumfield in Person. Hi, I'm Diane Pendergraft, and I'm here with Sarah Masaryk, and we have with us today Tanya Arnold from BiblioGuides, and we have two of our library ladies, Mary Schubert and Kathy Seeger. Diane, our listeners will be hearing this episode probably in February, but we are recording this in the first week of January, so the first week of 2023, and it's our first recording since taking a Christmas break. So I'm feeling a little bit uh, excited. I missed this. And I'm also feeling a little bit easily confused at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) But this podcast today is part of our Forgotten Books series. And so if our listeners have not heard the first episode of the Forgotten Books series, let's just take a minute to explain what, what this is. It is our belief that there is a great treasury of children's literature that has more or less become forgotten. Books that have fallen out of vogue or fallen out of print, but have that just inestimable quality that we want to capture and uh, we want to reclaim these books and we want people to know about them. What we've done is we have invited our favorite librarians to come on once a month and tell us about some of their favorite forgotten books in categories that they helped us to select. This month, we are talking about a forgotten book by a beloved author with an overlooked book, a book that people never talk about. So if I were having a forgotten book today, that might be me talking about Louisa May Alcott. Everybody knows who Louisa May Alcott is, but lots of people have never read Under the Lilacs, and yet I think it's a marvelous book. So that would be an example of a forgotten book um, by a beloved author that's overlooked. So today... We have Mary and Kathleen and Tanya here to tell us about three really special gems. Now, we've stretched our librarians because we want to make sure that these books are books that mamas can go and get. I think you said last time, Diane, that we don't want mamas spending their grocery money to try and find books that are obscure and hard to find. Right. These are books that we want you to know somebody is publishing. They are gettable. They might take you a little bit of effort to find them, but they do exist in the wild. Let's begin with Tanya. Tanya has a forgotten book that is a real treasure that I absolutely love. So Tanya, tell us who your author is and tell us about your book. Yeah, so today I really wanted to talk about Kate Sherity. And I I think many people are probably somewhat familiar with her. A lot of people recognize her because she won a Newbery Medal for the White Stag. And a tree for Peter is often well-beloved by many people at Christmas time and the Chestery Oak. But there's another book that's in print from Bethlehem Books called Philomena. And I just rarely hear it discussed and talked about, but I adore it. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, it's so delightful. And I just did a second reread this week with my eight-year-old. We just finished it this morning, in fact. That seems to be my pattern. (laughs) So podcast episodes are good deadlines Mm -hmm. for you, is what you're saying. (laughs) Yes, it's so true. (laughs) But what I love about Kate Sheridy is she's kind of a double threat. She is both an author and an artist. And so she writes and illustrates her stories. And I think she also illustrated for other authors. And her Style is just so stunning and breathtaking. You can fall into the illustrations and they're 
there's so much expression and they're so lively. And so as I was reading this out loud to my daughter, she was sitting next to me and we often stopped to really pour over the illustrations before, you know, moving on with the story because they express something in and of themselves outside of the story. It's a throwback to her childhood, I believe, or where she was born. So she was born in Hungary and this story takes place pre-World War One, And so it's kind of that old world feel when you always hear and you're reading these stories where you, where you hear characters say, you know, it reminds us of the old world. This is a book that's set in the old world. And it has some really strong religious overtones. There's a father in it. And essentially what happens is you have this little girl who's orphaned. And, you know, my eight-year-old has the best questions. And I'm, I'm betting a lot of mamas out there have had children that ask this question. But why do all the best stories have orphans? Right, yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Like Heidi, mm-hmm. a little princess to a degree, like she was left mm-hmm. alone, right, for a long time. But you always have these stories where you have an orphan. So you have this, you have this child who's an orphan and she's living with her grandmother. And the grandmother is dying. And she, the tradition in the village is that when the girls turn 12, they then get sent to the city to Prague and they work there until they're 16 and then they come back to be married and they earn a dowry and whatnot. And she had an aunt that had left and gone to Prague and never come back and the family's been out of touch with her. And the grandmother says to her, when I when I pass on, I want you to go to Prague and find your aunt. And this is how you're going to do it. And she says that I will never be that far from you. And all you need to do is ask and I'm going to help you. So throughout this story, you basically have this little girl who's connecting to her grandmother on the other side in this really beautiful way where she's constantly stopping and saying to her grandmother, Babushka, what do I do next? I don't know what to do next. And she has one thing after another, but she's so, has such a firm faith that her grandmother is helping her on her path. And there's such a sense of hope and beauty. And it's just delightful the way it's written. And the values that are kind of shown in the story. There's a part here where she's, the priest is helping her leave and um, tells her, happy journey, old friend, till we meet again. And then it says, Philomena had done everything exactly the way Babushka had told her. Everything had gone smoothly, not very easily, but smoothly. No one in the village expected things to be very easy. One had to work hard, think hard to make things come out right. So if leaving the village and saying goodbye to Father Matthias was not an easy thing for a little girl to do, if she cried a little, that was only natural. The sun does not shine all the time. One has to have rain. To cry is as natural at times as it is for the rain to fall. It had rained a little for Father Matthias too. But what could he do? Babushka had wanted Philomena to go to Prague and find her aunt. Philomena had to go. Mm-hmm. That one paragraph. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like. It was just so beautiful to hear her express her her feelings, her sorrow, her belief in hard work. And then throughout the story, she has all of these experiences that lead her to this final conclusion. And in the end, it's just a story of redemption. And it's so powerful. So we finished it today and we both just kind of shut this, the book and sat and just rapture. (laughs) That was delightful and lovely. And there's so many things to think about. And yet nothing is forced. Nothing's contrived. Nothing makes you feel like anything, any ideas are being shoved down your throat or anything. You're just 
experiencing this kind of beautiful story with this little girl having hardships, but also a little girl who has a strong faith in heaven and a possibility for family and a relationship that's ongoing with her deceased grandmother. I love her dress and the animals, all the little pets that she picks up along the way. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yes. There's one point where she says to her grandmother, I am a hard worker and I am experienced now and I'm responsible and I have three dependents. Mm -hmm. I have a bird, a cat, and a dog. All of whom she rescued. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. It's just just so delightful. I love that you use that word delightful because that book, if you just hear the the skeleton of it, like, oh, her grandma dies and she has to go work. You know, it sounds like it would be a sad book, but it is completely a very joyful, pleasant, delightful book. Kind of like Heidi, like Philomena has that same hopefulness like Pollyanna, Heidi-esque-ness, where it's very positive. So it's not like the hardships, you need to shy away from those. Instead, they really give great character lessons to children reading. Yeah, I love that you shared that, Kathy, because I actually thought that if you were doing children's classics with your children and trying to make sure that you would kind of read these classics, I think the next step after Heidi would be Philomena. I just think they tie in... The way the relationships, the viewpoints, that that warmth that you get when you read it, like everything you just said, I absolutely agree. See, I would say it go it would go Betsy Tacy, Philomena, and then understood Betsy. Like I think it was, it's sandwiched between the Betsy's for me. Uh, <laughs> um, but it well, has it's a, much shorter. Yeah. Philomena it, is much shorter than like Heidi. Heidi right. is a pretty long book. Right. So while they were perfectly applied to the same age group. Yes. Like Philomena is a quicker read. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Philomena is something that a child could read for themselves. Whereas Heidi is one that would be far, far better done in a lap. You know, this is, this is what mom's doing with you today. Read aloud. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, it's, it is a gem. I'm so glad you shared that one, Tanya. And so for our listeners sake, wanted to let you know that all of the books that we're listing today will be listed in the show notes with links to their book record in BiblioGuides and also where you can purchase them online. There is one quote. I wanted to share the richness of the writing. So I already talked about how beautiful the illustrations are, but the writing has its own rhythm and magic and richness to it that is so enjoyable for an adult to read, which is why I think this makes a great read aloud because as an adult, it's just tasty, (laughs) but for a child, it's, it's humorous. My daughter giggled so many times. So like what Kathy was saying is it sounds like a really hard story and it is, it has hard elements, but there's such a sense of hope and joy. Mm -hmm. So Philomena at this point is staying in a house and she has this experience happen and she's coming home to tell about it. But when the door opened, her orderly thoughts scattered like a flock of birds flying in all directions. She caught the one of least importance, saying in a breathless voice, This time she had to hit me in the head with an apple. Daily contact with Babushka's role in affairs on earth had made Uncle Borish very experienced. He was smiling when he asked, What did she tell you to do this time? so I love I mean isn't that rich like how her ideas were like flocks of birds and she caught the one of least importance so as an adult I'm reading this and I'm thinking this is hysterical and I'm wrecking like I'm feeling Uncle Borish as he's 
hearing this little girl and he's recognizing she's constantly talking about Babushka and the, the impressions she's having Babushka of the next thing she, she should do. And he's fully ready to support yes. her. What did she tell you? What's <laughs> next? And I'm ready. Like he's fully experienced. And I just think that is that one little, it's two paragraphs here. That is exemplary of the whole story of the whole book. You just have these elements throughout and then it ends in this really beautiful homecoming. The most important thing it says in the book, the Babushka says to her is don't, re- don't forget the important thing is coming home. Mm. And then there's a homecoming. And it's just, again, it's like a perfect book. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I think mamas should definitely check this one out. It's totally worth having in your home library. Speaking of hilarious, um, you know something about Mary's book. I do. Yeah. I was really excited about this episode because we're talking about a known author and an unknown work that maybe is less known. And Mary had been suggesting to us um, a book called The Magic Fishbone by Charles Dickens. And Mary, we're really excited to hear why you chose this one and what you have to share. But I own this one and I wanted to add it to BiblioGuides. And so I went and grabbed it and was working on it. And I read just the very first page. And I just think listeners should hear this because I think this sets the story up and what you're going to share so perfectly. I haven't read it yet, but I read this and sent it to Sarah and Diane and said, this is the perfect selection. I don't even know what's going to happen, but this is a perfect selection. So it said, there was once a king and he had a queen and he was the manliest of his sex and she was the loveliest of hers. The king was, in his private profession, under government. The queen's father had been a medical man out of town. They had 19 children and were always having more. 17 of these children took care of the baby, and Alicia, the eldest, took care of them all. Their ages varied from seven to seven months. Let us now resume our story. (laughs) Come on! (laughs) They had 19 children from seven to seven months. Oh my gosh, there's no child out there that's not going to giggle so hard. And you know what I think is sometimes it's hard to find excellent stories that are funny, that are not twaddly. Or rude. So I, Mm -hmm. right, or rude or crude Mm -hmm. or just, yes, yes. I was excited because I'm always wanting a funny story. So Mary, tell us more about this story and why you loved it and why you chose it. So I really have never read much by Charles Dickens and... I came across, in looking for um, Jean Latham's books, I came across her adaption of the story, but then I had never actually read it myself. I just had added it to my library because, of course, that's what we were doing. (laughs) And I honestly, and nobody can see the pictures, but I honestly was not as impressed by the, the, the pictures in this one. Right. And one day I happened to be at a Goodwill store and was just going through and I picked up a copy and it was a lot brighter pictures. The copy that I got was actually illustrated by Faith Jacques. And as far as I know, I believe it was originally published in England in like 1969, I think it was the copyright date. And then it was republished in the United States, but it was a lot brighter pictures and I almost put it back into my cart Mm -hmm. or back on the shelf. And instead I put it in my cart, brought it home, And I was on a trip with my older kids and my husband uh, about a year and a half ago, and we 
I, I just, I had this in my bag because I wanted to read it. And so I pulled it out and I read it to my children and my husband in the car. <laughs> and my, my daughter that was with me actually does very much like Dickens and so forth. And we just thought it was a delightful, charming story. And yes, it's a fairy tale. It has a grand marina and the, the, the father that's the, um, the king but he has he doesn't have money <laughs> and so the whole point of the story about the fishbone is that the little girl Licia is supposed to ask for something make a wish when she has a need and the grand marina tells the father that she will know when she is to make that wish right. and several different things happen in the story and the father is constantly just kind of like looking, has she lost the wishbone? You know, all these kinds of things. And she instead does some very funny, uh, not practical in our day and age kind of situations, <laughs> I will say. Um, but she takes care of her mother. She takes care of the baby. She takes care of her siblings. And finally though, something happens and she realizes that her father is is actually poor and they don't have any money because it's not been payday yet for him mm -hmm. and a couple of those things are what jean latham in her adaptation does go through and kind of puts it into a little bit more modern understanding mm -hmm. for children and she takes out some of the things that I think maybe our modern people might have objected to, but I still think they're part of the charm of this story yeah. because this was a story that Charles Dickens, my understanding is he did not write this until later on in his life. And he had come to the United States to do a tour. Mm -hmm. And this is one of four stories that was actually published in a, um, a children's magazine or children's publication in the United States, oh. at least what I've been able to figure out and old publications that we have that we can find were actually then reprinted from when it was taken back to England and, and produced. And so I just think that if you're somebody trying to come up with stories, for your children to introduce them to great authors. Yes. And I know for Charlotte Mason, they read Charles Dickens stories to the children. For me, that was not as easy for me to do mm. with my children. And it was, we had a very different situation with our homeschooling. And so it just was not as practical for us in some things. And so when I came across this story, I was just like, this is a children's story that Charles Dickens wrote. And it's a fairy tale. <laughs> and it's humorous. It's charming. To me, it's just, it's charming. But it also has, I think, a really good point in the story. And I just wanted to read a little bit. It says, the king then sighed so heavily and seemed so low-spirited and sat down so miserably leaning his head upon his hand and his elbow upon the kitchen table, pushed away in the corner, that the seventeen princes and the princesses crept softly out of the kitchen and left him alone with Princess Alicia and the angelic baby. What is the matter, Papa? 
I am dreadfully poor, my child. Have you no money at all, Papa? None, my child. Is there no way of getting any, Papa? No way, said the king. I have tried very hard, and I have tried all ways. When she heard those last words, the Princess Alicia began to put her hand into the pocket where she kept the magic fishbone. Papa, she said, when we have tried very hard and tried all ways, we must have done our very, very best. No doubt, Alicia. When we have done our very, very best, Papa, and that is not enough, then I think the right time must have come for asking help of others. This was the very secret connected with the magic fishbone, which she had found out for herself from the good fairy god Marina's words, and which she had so often whispered to her beautiful and fashionable friend, the Duchess, mm. which the Duchess was a doll. Oh. <laughs> but I just, I don't know. There's so many things that, as you were talking about Philomena, that I just find also encapsulated in this mm. story. And the story of Cinderella mm -hmm. and just so many different fairy tales and things. I just think it's, I just think it's a charming little story. And for me, as I've been kind of looking at this and then found out that there was a Dover publication that they had reprinted uh, a publication with Louis Lubachin's illustrations that I didn't even, wasn't even aware of. So I have like ordered that. And there is another copy that I found online um, that is even from a different illustrator. So I kind of like started collecting different <laughs> copies of this because I just think the illustrations are also very and different mm -hmm. and they give a different picture to the story itself. Well, and what a good story it must be if multiple illustrators have illustrated this. Like this is, this is clearly a story that is loved and has a lot of scope for creativity to it. And there are, you know, like I said, there are some things in his original, but the more that I've done some research, I, I think he was also making a statement mm -hmm. to some extent mm -hmm. of the times. Yes. And again, that is something for us to stop and consider when we're reading anything with our children. Right, right. Especially our older books. Right. I know for my, my, my children, it's helpful when they know when a book has been published mm -hmm. and to have a better understanding of context. what the time frame yeah. is in the context. Yeah. So definitely. I wanted to say another thing that I thought was kind of fun about this particular one, because it is a fairy tale, basically with a fairy godmother, right? And there's a, a magical object. So you're going to be able to make a wish on this magical object, but you only get to make one wish. But the, the, I think they call her, as you were saying, Mary, the fairy Grand Marina. She yes. says, be, be good then, and don't tell the princess Alicia, with my love, that the fishbone is a magic present which can only be used once, but that it will bring her that once whatever she wishes for, provided she wishes for it at the right time. So I thought that was fascinating that she has a wish that she can wish for, but it will only work if she's asking at the right time. Correct. I think that's such an important message too, that there's a time and a season, a right place for many things. Like it's really, I know I haven't read the story the rest of the way, but I'm intrigued as to 
how Dickens lays this out about there being a right time for these things. I thought that was really interesting. Well, and it begs the question, too, that if it's the right time, then maybe it really wasn't magic at all. Maybe it was exactly as it was supposed to be. Mm. Well, Mary, thank you for sharing that. Um, I think it's important to note, because Tanya and I had were in fits of giggles this morning listening to the audio sample, the audible. There, so it has multiple audible options. And one is, is Kathy Dobson. And if you are an Edith Nesbitt fan, she's done many, many, many of the Edith Nesbitt books. She's not my favorite narrator. Um, and, and, and when I hear her voice, all I can think is Edith Nesbitt. <laughs> and so maybe I, I love her for Edith, but I for this one, I was like, oh, okay. And then the other one, which I forget the name of the guy who did it, but oh my goodness, we were in fits of giggles listening to his narration. So mamas, this is a good one for audiobook if you are um, if you're looking to add an audiobook to your collection. So that brings us to Kathleen. And Kathleen, you have a book that will not be controversial, but what might be controversial is the fact that you like it better than its more famous sibling. Is that right? Well, I don't know if I like it better, but it's okay. certainly um, its famous sibling. Um, the book is Baby Island by Carol Ryrie Brink and... So obviously Carol Ryrie Brink is beloved for Caddy Woodlawn and she won the 1936 Newbery for Caddy Woodlawn, 1935, 36, something like that. And so, and I never read Caddy Woodlawn as a child, mm. but one of my daughters, that was her favorite book for many years. She oh. loved Caddy Woodlawn. And even though it was yeah. her favorite book, I never read it. <laughs> so until very recently. So, um, but However, Baby Island, um, I read as a read aloud to my children. Mm. I think four of them were all under 10. Mm. And I did, I read it as a nighttime read aloud. Mm -hmm. And my oldest son was like older than 10 at the time. And so he wasn't, he wasn't going to sit in on, you know, Baby Island, of course. <laughs> um, but he heard me the very first night we were reading it. You know, he walks by in the hallway and hears me reading it. And then, of course, he sneaks in and then he starts to listen. <laughs> and then he's like, oh, well, yeah, maybe I'll listen to this. You know, it, just, it is a, you know, so many books that we think are like girl books, like mm -hmm. Heidi or a book called Baby Island mm -hmm. are completely enjoyable to boys and girls fully yeah. because they're just wonderful stories. Uh, Baby Island, everybody who reads it really, I think, loves it. Mm -hmm. But it just, obviously, Caddy Woodlawn, it doesn't have the, it's not as known as that yeah. story. Yeah. And it doesn't have a historical element to it either. It's called, in the back on the dust jacket, it is called a semi-nonsense adventure um, <laughs> in, the, in the description of the book. And I think that fits the story really well, which... Um, the basis is that these young ladies, uh, two sisters, are on a ship, and the ship starts to sink. So everyone needs to evacuate the ship, and just through happenstance, um, they end up with four of the baby travelers that were on the ship in a lifeboat that accidentally gets set off and eventually drift to an island alone with these four babies <laughs> and how they care for them. In the foreword of the book, um, Carol Ryrie says, uh, When I was a small girl, it was the fashion in our circle to borrow the neighbors' babies. 
I myself was never a very accomplished nursemaid, although I had many happy hours pushing the perambulator of a young cousin. But some of my friends had a positive genius for taking care of and amusing babies. They never thought of receiving pay for this delightful pastime. Minding a baby was its own reward. Mm. It is more difficult to borrow babies now, I understand. Whether this is due to a scarcity of babies or to more particular to mothers, I am unable to say. But I am quite <laughs> sure of this, that there are just as many little girls who love babies as there ever were, and it is especially for them that I have written the story of Baby Island. Oh, and that's so, beautiful. So sweet, because that is all little girls play. Yeah. Now, even even my son, he had his own doll to play with his sisters right. with their dolls. And everybody loves to pretend to be play mom, play baby, yeah. you know, have your baby. Um, so that's the charm of this story is that even though, you know, there's supposedly a shipwreck um, and they're stranded on an island, yeah. they... It is just charming through and through. It's written in 1937. So obviously you hear the word perambulator <laughs> in the forward. And that is reflected. Just a one little one paragraph quote that I think is just darling. They're on this island and there's no there's no woe. There's no drama. It's all like wonderful. We'll take care of these babies well because their mothers aren't here to care for them. And so the older sister, I believe is speaking here. And it's lucky I have this notebook too, she said, for the calendar will help us keep track of time. And that's important. If we didn't have a calendar, we might forget when Sunday comes and the babies must be brought up to respect the Sabbath day and keep it holy, just as they would if they were at home. But we can't go to Sunday school on a desert island, objected Jean. No, replied Mary, but we can lay aside our labors and sing a hymn. And if you can repeat the 23rd Psalm to the children, so as you won't forget it. Mm-hmm. Jean heaved a heavy sigh. The 23rd Psalm had always been a great trial to her. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so just lots of cuteness like that. They encounter a mysterious stranger on the island and charm him. And they encounter lots of sweet little animals to care for um, and charm them. It all ends well um, on Baby Island in the end, of course. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've never read Baby Island, but many, many of my friends here always said, oh, Caddy Woodland's great, but you need to read Baby Island. So I'm really glad that you brought this as a, as your forgotten book because it's it's motivating me. I need to get it. I mean, we have it. I just need to read it because this sounds, to read it. <laughs> this just sounds charming. Mm-hmm. It actually is the only read aloud I've read to my children twice. Wow. And I read it to them as a bedtime story when they were a little bit younger. And then we um, travel almost every summer to Stockton Island in mm-hmm. the Apostle Islands, um, which is a national park. So yeah. um, no, you know, electricity, no yeah, cell phones. There. <laughs> and uh, I to, I asked the kids, what would you like me to bring as read aloud in the tent? And they said, baby island. I was like, you want to read it again? So so we did. We read it on an island for the Whoa. second time. So. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. If my kids are listening, I'm not reading When the Dykes Broke again, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I just recorded yesterday my review of When the Dykes Broke by Alta Halverson Seymour. And I said emphatically in my review, which is still absolutely true, is our very most favorite read aloud ever. But 
I cried so hard when I was reading out loud. I said, I can't do that again. I could bear, I couldn't even get through the review without crying yesterday when I was recording. So you don't have to cry in Baby Island. It's Yay. all good. Yay. It's all sweetness. <laughs> Marvelous. <laughs> it's also really fun because this one is still in print. Mm-hmm. And what what's interesting is that you can probably find it if you're looking at your thrift stores in the paperback. What I think is interesting is it just has one of those kind of ugly 1990 covers on yeah. it. So it would be easy to miss it and, and think it wasn't very good yes. because you wouldn't know what you were looking at. So if you know what you're looking at and you recognize Carol Ryrie Brink and you've listen to this episode and you see Baby Island, grab that paperback. Right. And the illustrations on the inside are the same. Just they changed the cover. So it has the ugly cover, but the <laughs> they mm-hmm. keep the Helen Sewell, I believe is illustrated here. Helen Sewell, her illustrations are darling. And they're mm. in the new paperback as well. Yeah. And what's interesting is Scholastic reprinted yes. it, but not the Helen Sewell illustrations. Oh, I didn't so. Yeah, but then the 1991 or whatever that one that's currently in print did bring back the Helen Sewell illustrations. Fascinating. So just take a look at that. I think it was in the 60s or 70s that Scholastic switched it out. And then you can find it with the originals. But the cover, what's sad is sometimes they'll leave those original illustrations, but not the cover. Right. So it's not easy as a consumer to recognize what you're actually getting when you open that book. So don't trust those covers. <laughs> a book is better than its cover. It reminds me, Tanya, yeah. Tanya, of our interview with you. Was that the Biblio Guides, Meet Biblio Guides interview where you talked about oh. Stephen King? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had read this quirky Stephen King article and really quickly he had just basically said, never trust a cover because you're probably going to find something really great inside. And so he would go to Barnes and Noble and try to find the most horrendous cover that didn't match the title. And then he'd be like, oh, what are you, my lovely? I'm going to go read you. <laughs> And not that I like Stephen King, I don't read his works, but I just thought this article <laughs> was really fascinating. <laughs> Kathy, when you said you were going to choose this book, I was fascinated because we were already, I'm already currently reading out loud The Pink Motel, which we're a couple of chapters away from finishing that one. And we were going to go straight to Baby Island after that. So I'm excited to do that. But what did you think of The Pink Motel? That's another one that isn't often talked about, but is a brink. Have you read that I read one? I The Pink Motel and I... Um, that was quirkier, I think. It's not as neat. Yes. It's a little more quirky and a little mm-hmm. odder, but it's well loved. People really do enjoy it. And yeah. people did check that out of my library quite frequently. And I also um I also loved The Winter Cottage. That's another book of hers that's kind of um, Ooh, yeah. you know hidden, harder to find. I think it I think I looked it up and I think it's reprinted in paperback also. And mm. um as the Pink Motel has been recently, too. Reprinted. Um, I think the yeah. same people also did that in Family Grandstand and Family whatever. Yeah. Um, well, I, could, I also think it's very odd. Like, not odd in a bad way, but I'm reading it and my kids are giggling. But as an adult, I'm thinking, where is this even going? I don't know where it's even going. Like, I'm left guessing. I'm thinking... This is... It's quirky and delightful and interesting, but I, was, I don't remember. Sarah, was it you that I was telling that I just love that you have these great relationships between adults and children. I love when you yeah. see healthy, mm-hmm. good relationships yes. and, and other adults in a children, a child's life that's acting as a mentor yes. in some way. Mm-hmm. So it just has some really interesting relationships in it that, and dynamics that I think are interesting. So <laughs> didn't she write magic melons as well? Or is that somebody no, else? No, it's the sequel. That's a sequel. The to sequel. Cat, to Patty Woodland. Yeah. 
Gotcha. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, is that that's a sequel to Caddy Woodlawn? I thought it was Caddy Woodlawn's family was the sequel. Um, it's that's the same book. Same book. Two different names, same book. But, yep. Got it. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so Caddy Woodlawn was my favorite. Um, of one that I had read twice mm. because it was a scholastic and I had gotten a hold of it. And I actually liked it better than Little House on the Prairie yes. for the longest time. Me too. But I had not read Baby Island and I didn't know anything about it until Jan Bloom did a workshop um, about girls' books. And so she'd mentioned Baby Island. And so I got a copy, a paperback copy from her. But now that now that I've kind of been tweaked with the the, the beginnings of it, I've I've wanted to pull it off the shelf and read it. So. <laughs> and that's what, you know, if our listening, if our listeners are thinking, oh, great, another episode with a long list of books that I'm going to now put in my to-be-read pile, don't you worry. We have the same problem. We can all share <laughs> that problem right. together. Um, you library ladies are a hoot because we will talk at length before we're um, recording the podcast what people's selections are. And then all the other library ladies are like, wait, what? I have to read that one. And, and it really becomes pretty delightful. I was looking at Sherry Early's um, semicolon blog today because I was linking to it for something else. And I was looking at her best, some of her best books that were read in 2022. And I was like, oh, 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 (laughs) I know where that one came from. I know where that one came from. (laughs) It's such a joy. (laughs) So we should probably do a Carol Rye Brink episode, it sounds like. Lots of good ones. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I'm really glad, Mary, that you mentioned Jan Bloom because I was thinking about what Tanya was saying about how often these covers are very deceptive and we don't know. And when you go into your local thrift store, you may not know what you're looking for. And I, we've talked about this a lot in other little podcast episodes, and we're going to do a lot more with this in the future. But I just want to tell the young moms out there who don't know who Jan Bloom is, first of all, stay tuned. There's lots more information about Jan Bloom coming over the next few months. Um, but secondly, wanted to let you know that she has two incredible books. They are not expensive. They are, um, you buy them directly from her website, Books Bloom. Um, I'm not affiliated with Jan Bloom in any way. Diane and I are talking to her, but she doesn't even know we're talking about her. So um, there's, there's no connection here other than I bought Jan's books and I put them in my purse as a young mom. And I had tabbed all the authors I was interested in. I would read the little bios that she wrote about them and then I would tab those authors. And when I would go into the thrift stores, I would turn to my tabs and look. And anytime I'd grab a book, I was training myself to know how to spot the right authors, um, how to cut through the noise of the ugly book covers and find the gems inside those piles. So we will link to Jan's books in our show notes simply because we we really are passionate about the resource that she has composed. And um, I think all of you library ladies also have really benefited from her experience over the years. Is that right? Absolutely. Definitely. So we encourage you that if you are, uh, first of all, always make note of the show notes. Take the, anything we're mentioning in the shows, go ahead and write those names and authors down because That'll help you when you go into the stores, but don't feel like you can't go to a library sale or don't feel like if you go to a library sale or a um, thrift store that you don't know what you're looking for. If you get a hold of Jan's book or you get a hold of the show notes, those are really good tools for helping you sift through those and find the ones that are really great. So. Well, something, 
something real quick too, just as you're mentioning, I know sometimes like Scholastic will change covers and even other reprints will change covers. But one thing I will say, growing up in the early 70s, Scholastic is how I came across so many through our yes. book club yes. orders. That's how I came across Caddy Woodlock. Mm-hmm. It's how I came across The Secret Soldier. Mm-hmm. Um, and just different books that I do have. Now I'm like, wow, my copies that I paid like, you know, 50 cents for, you know. <laughs> but but just because something has a Scholastic sticker on it when you go in and you look and you see when it was originally published that can help you have a better idea if it was just published in 2012 then maybe it's not as um, worthy reliable lovely of a book is as you're looking for but if it's something that was like caddy woodlawn or if it's showing the newberry medal winners and things on it those are also things that you can find in your thrift stores and and out in the wild that you might not be able to find otherwise when i was in grade school yeah we just love the scholastic catalog i guess you would call it but the two or three pages and books were a quarter to if maybe really special ones were a dollar and i was in grade school in the late 60s and i still Mm -hmm. have a lot of those paperbacks because they were precious to me so i took care of them yeah i mean i read little women because of scholastic and i just think about how many books I would never have known about had it not been for the scholastic, um, the, the scholastic order forms. I think one of the things, Mary, I'm so glad you brought this up because one of the things Diane and I really want to talk about going forward is that, first of all, the reason why scholastic changes these covers very often is because to get the original covers, it can be very, very expensive. And scholastic was trying to make these books really affordable for people. And we applaud them for that. Um, talking so much with Jill and Anthony, we understand that cover illustration is, it's a business and artists deserve to be paid. Um, but not always can they, can the, the cost of what it is can't always be met if you want to still meet the objective of making a book affordable. So there's always that tension there, um, which is also why we really respect what Jill and Anthony are doing. But also, we wanted to really destigmatize Dover. So I'm so glad, Mary, that your book is available through Dover. I know there are a lot of people in the book world who kind of turn their nose up at Dover and say it's cheap paper. They're just cheap paperbacks. Um, but Dover has been a lifesaver for so many homeschool families. They have printed such excellent books in affordable versions. It's the kind of thing where a, a mom could order a copy for herself and a copy for her child and read it together because of the price point. And we think that that's, we think that's commendable and we appreciate that too. Is my Dover copy of a book going to be the one that I'm going to hand down to my grandchildren? Maybe not. <laughs> But is it one that's going to get through my children? Yes. And that's what really matters. Well, and I came across um, in a book that I was looking up for teaching literature several years ago. And this lady was commenting about not necessarily Dover, but she recommended Dover, um, you know, like the evergreen um, classics and so forth, Mm -hmm. because she commented that many times our children nowadays if they see an older book on the shelf, especially if they've not been exposed mm-hmm. to a living library and so forth, or if there's yellowing pages, I have one patron whose daughter just cannot handle yellowing pages mm-hmm. and needs those, those white pages. Mm-hmm. 
And so she was recommending purchasing, going ahead and purchasing maybe the cheaper copies mm-hmm. in one sense, but because the the cover looked more modern or it was more eye appealing to your child and they might be more willing to read it. Mm. Um, especially if it's a book that's not going to have illustrations in it in the first right, place. Right. So, yeah. So definitely I, I have several of the Dover publications and the neat thing about the magic fishbone that they've redone, it's in hardback. Nice. Nice. And it has Slovakin's nice, lovely illustrations. And um, he's, you know, whenever we get around to doing illustrators, you know, he'd be one on the top of the list there. Yeah, lovely. I mean, I think that we want to be very careful here not to be book snobs. We also don't want to be, oh, buy as many books as you possibly can at the cheapest price. You know, we we understand that there, it has to be the right tool for the right job. And there are some things that are to be collectibles that have a particular value because of the, the way that they're printed and the way that they're presented. And there are other books that are about getting that story into your kids as affordably as possible. And as moms, only you know what's best for your home. So you discern what's best for you. We're going to do the best that we can to present you with options so you have choices. Friends, today we had the joy of talking with Tanya and Mary and Kathleen, but there are quite a few other library ladies that we love and some of whom have some other really great recommendations. Plus, we're betting you have recommendations as well. Do you know it would make us so happy if you would come and share your recommendations or your thoughts about what we said or our recommendations? Come and come and chat with us. You can do that in a couple of places and we would love to see you there. So either head over to our Facebook pages, either BiblioGuides or Plumfield Moms, and go ahead and comment on the link when you see this posted. Otherwise, if you don't know about the BiblioGuides online community, which is an alternative to Facebook and other forms of social media, you need to know about it. Community.biblioguides.com, and there'll be a link in the show notes. It's totally free. You don't need to be a member of BiblioGuides to join, and there'll be a full discussion about this episode in that network. And so the other library ladies will be in that network sharing their book recommendations with you there as well. Tanya and Mary and Kathy, thank you so much for being with us today. One of the things I love about what we're doing together is that we cover so much more territory that way. There's only so many books I can read. I only have so much history with books that I've worked with and know something about. And Sarah's the same way. Together, we cover more territory, but all of you ladies who have joined us recently really, really appreciate all of your knowledge and experience. Diane, I agree. I think that many hands make light work. And I think that in this world of trying to encourage mamas to find the right books and the right resources that are for them in their moment, in order to give people as many choices, good choices as possible, it's so wonderful to have these different perspectives of people who are in different ages and stages and experiences and geography. Mm-hmm. Ladies, you are a gift to us, and we thank you very much for being here, and we look forward to having you come back. Just a reminder to our listeners that the first Friday of every month, some of the library ladies join us for a Landmark Books book club discussion. And you can get the schedule for that on our website or in the BiblioGuides Mighty Networks community. 
And then on the second Friday of every month is the Forgotten Books series. And we have episodes planned all the way through the year. So keep checking in to find out what the new topic or theme is and to find more of your favorite librarians. So ladies, thank you for joining us. And friends, thank you for tuning in. We look forward to having you back again. 